Thank you, Ivan, and the rest of the team. That was wonderful. That really was tremendous. And have an opportunity to come and to share on the back of that time of worship and praise is fantastic. I want to say uh, a warm welcome to you all this evening. My name is Alec McClellan. I do work uh, with a ministry called Reason Why, and I'm one of the team of uh, missionaries that uh, flashed very briefly on the screen. And my wife and I, Cheryl, and I've got two little girls, Sophie and Mariah, and we work with Reason Why and work all over Scotland in different parts of the country. And it's great to come together last night on Saturday. Uh, a number of the missionaries were sharing uh, little updates, including myself. And it was wonderful to have the opportunity to do so. Uh, I'd like just to extend again my, my thanks and appreciation for the support that we receive from so many people here at Charlotte Chapel. And uh, not everyone gets the opportunity to say thank you. So I'm sure uh, everyone else would echo the words that I say in terms of the level of appreciation that we have for the financial and prayer support that we get from the church here, which is wonderful. So we really benefit from that, and it's tremendous. Certainly, the, the theme of salt and light uh, that we're looking at this weekend is a good one for a missions weekend. And uh, certainly, this is a good, a good passage that we're going to be looking at that gives us some impetus and encouragement uh, in the area of Christian missions. As we're going to be looking at this this evening, uh, we're going to be looking at the Matthew 5 passage. And as we look at this, certainly, the two metaphors of salt and light, Derek Lamont has already dealt with salt this morning. Uh, recognizing that Christians are the salt of the earth. And this helps us understand a very important principle when it comes to Christian missions. Uh, Derek's expanded on this this morning, but salt certainly, which was used as a preservative, uh, delayed meat from becoming rotten. Uh, So meat was uh, used in those days, obviously, and meat would start to rot, so it would have a preservative. And what I'd just like to very briefly say, it's interesting that in those days when meat started to rot, people didn't get annoyed at the meat. Meat started to rot. They didn't start to throw their hands in there and say, that meat, if I could get my hands on that meat, it's rotting. It's rotten. Meat's doing what meat does. People recognized that it was in need of a preservative. Well, sometimes in our culture, we get frustrated at the culture. We say, look at the mess the culture's in. I mean, it's rotting, and it's rotten to the core. Don't get annoyed at the culture. Culture's doing what culture does recognize it's in need of a preservative. Well, what is that preservative? Well, that is the salt that Derek's spoken about this morning. And I'm going to be focusing on light, the metaphor of light this evening. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. And he was talking to those people who would follow him. Those were the people that he was speaking to and addressing. Christians are called to preserve God's truth and righteousness. We are the salt of the earth. We're also called to reflect God's truth and righteousness. We are the light of the world. We are the salt and we are the light. We preserve and reflect God's truth and righteousness in our culture. We're going to be looking at the Matthew 5 passage this evening. And before we do, uh, let's just open again with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for this whole weekend and the opportunity to focus on the work that you're doing Father, we recognize that you are always at work, both seen and unseen. It may be a wonderful encouragement to people in this church here at Charlotte Chapel to see and to hear stories about the work that is going on in Edinburgh, in Scotland, in the UK, in Europe, and around the world. It's wonderful to hear the accounts of what is happening and to recognize the part that each one of us can play according to the call that you place on our lives. So we thank you that we can look at your word and may we be inspired and challenged and encouraged again as we spend this time together this evening. 
In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and keep one finger in the passage there, we're going to turn there in a moment. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. And as you turn there, let's remember briefly the context as we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Matthew primarily written to a, a Jewish audience where one of the priorities for Matthew was to identify that Jesus is Messiah. He wanted to affirm this, and we can see this in his writing, demonstrating time and time again how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that were given. And so Jesus, um, his genetic credentials, if you like, are established. He came from the line of David. The prophetic credentials were established in terms of uh, fulfilling the prophecy, the way that he lived his life, the circumstances of his birth, uh, foretold and affirmed by John the Baptist. And also his practical credentials were affirmed in the miracles, the miracles of Jesus, the miraculous things that he did. Again, these affirmed the authenticity that this man was the Messiah. Matthew goes on and he records how Jesus called his first disciples. He got people's attention. Then he starts to teach them about the kingdom of God. And this got people's attention because this was radically different. This didn't just fit in with the pattern of the lifestyle of the time. This was radically different. And so we see chapter 5 begins with the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6 and 7 are among the most widely respected and dramatic passages in the Bible today. Even other religions recognize this sermon of Jesus as dramatic and incredible in terms of the wisdom of this man. And so Jesus earns a a tremendous degree of respect from the sermon that he gives, even among other religions. Plus there are some other things that have been taken from this sermon and actually found their way in the popular culture. Often misapplied and misunderstood, but still uh, we've probably heard people say things like, turn the other cheek. Uh, Maybe let your yes be yes and your, your no be no. Uh, Don't worry about tomorrow. Do not judge. Various things have been taken from this passage and found their way even to the popular culture, even if they're often misapplied or misunderstood. Well, chapter 5, Jesus presents what is commonly called the Beatitudes. He demonstrates this kingdom living, what it looks like. And he says in verse 13 that Christians are the salt of the earth. Then in verses 14 to 16, he says this. This is what we're going to be focusing on this evening. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. What he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus says, if you're a Christian, be prepared to shine. If you're a Christian, be prepared to shine. Christian living reflects the light and the character of Christ. And we need to shine brightly. We need to shine brightly as Christians. Why? Well, we need to shine brightly because there's the importance of the light. This light is important. Let me ask you, if I was to turn off every light in Charlotte Chapel this evening, if I was to cover up all the windows, and if I was to make sure that no light could get in here so you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face, and I was to take a match out of my back pocket... Firely uh, regulations permitting. And to strike this match and to hold it up in front of me. And then to ask you, okay, now what can you see? Think about it for a moment. What would you be able to see? Now, Ivan tried to get some response from the congregation. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get much. But why doesn't someone buck the trend of over 100 years and then tell me, what can you see if I was to hold out a, a, a match in front of you? What could you see? 
You see the light? This is actually quite good. I'm overwhelmed. This is a... Must be some Americans in the, in the congregation this evening. So, And I can say that because my wife is American. I've lived there for 10 years, so... Uh, if you listen to this afterwards on the tape, then they won't get annoyed at me. But yes, you can see the light. What else can you see? My face, I know, unfortunately, for some, but there you go. What else can you see? My hand, yes, okay, you can see my hand too. Anything else? I've got the match in my hand. What was that? My fingernails, okay, and okay. Anything else? Well, I'll kind of cut to the chase. Oh, I'm getting a little badum ching there from there. Basically, I'll cut to the chase. I've, done, I've worked with groups before and sometimes said this, and it's interesting because I've gone on and on and on sometimes with some groups. I said, oh, what else? And people start getting exasperated. It's like, okay, what are you looking for? You know what else you can see that you couldn't see before? The darkness. It's interesting. If you're completely consumed by darkness, you can't see anything. You can't even see the darkness until... You come into contact with the light. You need the light to see the light. Seems obvious. You also need the light to see the darkness. And that's very significant when it comes to us being the light of the world. Why? We want people to see the light, sure. We also want them to see the darkness. The darkness in the world and the darkness in their own hearts. They might say, well, hang on a second, Alec. You know, people aren't really completely in the darkness. I mean, the light of God's revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, we recognize there are things in the world that reveal that God is there. And I recognize that. But we also know that over a period of time when people reject God's revelation, they can become desensitized to his light and his revelation. And people can start to forget. And they start to grow comfortable in the darkness. They maybe even feel quite good about it. Until what? They come into contact with the light. That gets their attention. Many people don't like that. John 3, 19 and 20. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men have loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You're living apart from God and you come into contact with the light. You might not like that. It might repel you. But also, what do we see here in Matthew five sixteen? In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Some will be drawn to the light as you reflect the light of Christ. Some who are struggling and, and discontent and discouraged in the darkness, who feel hopeless, they encounter the light of Christ in you. And they're drawn to that light. They're drawn closer to Christ through you. The importance of the light. Now, the light is not without opposition. There is opposition to the light. There's no doubt there's an absence of the knowledge of God today, certainly in terms of respect and understanding. And the culture is dark. Some people say the culture is getting darker. I don't know if that's true, but if it is, then that's a problem in some sense. But also, what a wonderful opportunity. Because the darker it is, the brighter the light appears to shine. What an opportunity that we have in a dark culture. You can't really do too much to control the darkness around you. You're quite limited in that sense. But you can control the degree to which the light of Christ will shine in you and through you as you commit your life to him. I've actually read that a candle can be seen on a dark night from over a mile away under the right conditions. They might say, what right conditions? Using binoculars? I don't think those are the right conditions that it meant. But the point is that if it's very dark, light can travel a long way. 
the influence and impact that we can have in this culture is probably immeasurable in many ways. Certainly greater than what we might expect or anticipate. So there is opposition to the light. The world's a dark place. So we need our light to shine. And the good news is that light has power over the darkness. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. If you're a Christian here this evening, you are the light of the world. The light to shine in the darkness. The English word light comes from the the Greek word phos, which simply means to shine. You are the light of the world. You are to shine in the world. But how do we do it? I mean, what is the source of the light? If we have to shine, what is the source of the light? Because I don't know about you, but I don't have too much to shine about or shout about. If I'm supposed to shine, I'm not going to do much of a good job. Well, Christ is the key. Christ is the key. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, referring to himself, using the same word, Foss, the same Greek word. Jesus is the light of the world. But we need to reconcile this with Matthew 5. I mean, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he turned to those who would follow him and said, you are the light of the world. Well, come on, Jesus, who's the light? I mean, is it you? Is, is it us? I mean, who is it? How do we reconcile these two passages? Well, the answer is in the relationship between Christ and the Christian. The relationship is a special one. Because for the Christian, they recognize this relationship they have with God through Christ. We are in Christ. We are in Christ, the Bible teaches us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation in Christ. We are are positionally in Christ. We are completely identified in Christ. Not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in us. Christ is in us. Paul wrote to the church, uh, the Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. For the Christian, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We have this relationship. We have this identification with Jesus. You might say, well, listen, I don't have much to shine about. Well, neither have I. And if you recognize that, then you're actually discovering something that's important, which is good. Because it's going to be Christ that shines in us and through us. The wonderful thing about Christianity that sets it apart from any other religious system is that God does not say, okay, here are rules and regulations and what you need to do is get on with it, do the best you can and come and see me when you're done, when you make it. If you make it. Christianity says, listen, you can't do it. That's not going to work. That's not going to happen. You know what? I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be within you. Walking together, the Christian is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Remarkably different from any other religious system or philosophy that's out there. This is radically different. We are in Christ, Christ is in us for the Christian. Jesus is the light of the world. And because of our association with him, we are in him, he is in us. Then we indeed are the light of the world as we reflect him and his likeness to others. The Greek word phos is the root of the word phosphorus, which means light bearer. And in a sense, Jesus is the phos. We are the phosphorus. We bear that light and we reflect that light to others. That is our job. That is our responsibility. I know Charlotte Chapel had for his verse of the year, Philippians 2.15 before, shine like stars. What is it about stars? They don't generate any light in of themselves. They reflect the light of the sun. What is a Christian to do? Reflect the light of the sun, the son of God. That is our responsibility, and that is what we do as we live for Him. We're not the light, but we reflect the light. 
Well, if you shine the light of, the, of Christ in the darkness, you're going to get people's attention. That's inevitable. The light has an effect on the world. The light has an effect on the world. Jesus says that light has an effect and he creates a comparison here. He says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Well, think about a city on a hill here. Jesus is highlighting something important. The importance of shining the light in relation to what? Position and proximity. Two things to remember when it comes to shining in this context with this comparison. Position and proximity. Think about a city on a hill. It shines and others are able to see it. Why? Well, due to its position and also in relation to its proximity to wherever they are. Simply by its existence, it sends out a light. It sends out a signal. That might not even be intended, but that is a consequence of its existence. It sends out a light. It sends out a signal. Well, what is the comparison here that Jesus is trying to draw? Oh, well, your life will shine if you're a Christian and others will see it. Sometimes indirectly, sometimes even unintended, they will see something that's different about you. But you need to remember position and proximity. Bill Hybels of, of Willow Creek uh, in the States, he brought out a book talking about different principles of evangelism. It was well known. And one of the things that he light, uh, highlighted was proximity. He said, if you want to influence people for Christ, you need proximity. You need to be alongside them if you're going to influence them. And so we need to recognize that if our life is going to influence other people, if we're going to shine that light in the darkness, we need to have proximity. You need to be close to people so they get to interact and see how your life is, how your life shines. Shining in the sense is not going out and Bible bashing anyone. It's living our lives in a way that people can see. See the life that we're living, the life we're living for Christ. And hopefully they'll see the light and they'll see the darkness. You know, sometimes I wish Christians were accused of something that Jesus was. You know, Jesus was accused of hanging out with all the wrong people. Jesus, what are you thinking? You know, I mean, here you're a rabbi, you're a wise teacher, you've come into the world and you're hanging out with sinners. Uh, What are you thinking, Jesus? Spend more time with us, wouldn't you? As Christians, I wish we'd be accused of that a little bit more. Could someone accuse you of hanging out with the wrong kinds of people? Could someone accuse you of hanging out with sinners? Could someone accuse me? What a challenge for us. We can get so busy in life, in the life of the church, and ministry. We can suddenly get consumed by this Christian bubble. And we think, you know, how many non-Christians do I know? How many non-Christian friends do I have? We need to recognize we know what to be the light in the darkness. We need proximity. We need to get alongside people. Maybe that we'd be accused of hanging out with the wrong kind of people sometimes. Jesus wasn't conforming or compromising. He was connecting with people. Connecting with the people who needed him most. And God wants to use us for that purpose. You're the light of the world. Does your position and proximity reflect that fact? Christians will shine. And when you do, be a bright spark. Be a bright spark. For once in your life, I'm telling you, be a bright spark. Shine brightly. A city on a hill will shine in the darkness because it contains life. And the more life it has, the brighter the light will shine. The more life in a city, the brighter the light will shine. Well, a city doesn't exist to generate life, to generate light. A city generates light by its existence. A city does not exist to generate light. It generates light by its existence. Just as normal activity, as normal activity, it actually generates a light that people can see. And some can be drawn to. Jesus, again, is is comparing things here to help us understand. 
Christians are called to live in obedience to Christ. And if we do so, we're going to generate the kind of light that people will see. Light on the outside is an evidence of life on the inside. You see a city and it's lit, it's lit up at night. The light on the outside is evidence of life on the inside. Jesus says, you need to shine, you need to be a bright light. So they see the light on the outside and it's evidence of life on the inside. Supernatural life that you have and experience ensuring that people can see. That's what Jesus wants us to know and to understand. And the more life you have, the more of him you have, the more of you have living this life, the brighter your life will shine. Jesus said we need to be able to look at Christians or Christian communities and see them as bright lights. See them shining. We don't exist to generate light, but we generate light by our existence. So be a bright spark. Go on, be a bright spark. Christ is the source of light. He generates light and life in us. We've got a responsibility then to do what? To make it available to people. We need to make it available to people. Light has an effect in the world and the light is an effect, affect on the world. It has an effect in terms of outcome. It is an effect because it is an influence on the world and on people. We need to make it accessible. We need to make it visible. Be visible. Jesus said you don't light a lamp and, and put it under a bowl. You don't cover up what was meant to give light. The Christian is created to give that light and not to suppress or to diminish that light. There have been times in history where Christians have withdrawn from the culture. They said, we need to pull out of these areas. Why? Because, well, we could get polluted by the world. We're meant to be holy. We need to withdraw from these places, withdraw from these people, to preserve ourselves. Jesus said, that's not what you do. You don't withdraw from the darkness. You take the light into the darkness and you shine. And you shine with the life that you have that I give you. Be visible. Also, be prominent. Jesus said, you put the light on a stand. You stand it up to give it the maximum effect, the maximum impact. You position yourselves in a sense to do that. What's the motivation for missions? One of them, to see there's great darkness out there. And some people or organizations say, listen, where is it the darkest? Where do we need to go? Not to withdraw from these places, but to enter into these environments where it's completely dark and people don't even know they're in the darkness until we're going to bring the light of Christ. And we're going to build relationships with people. We're going to show, show how we love people and care for people. And build the bridges that allow us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. Be visible. Be prominent. Again, we need to recognize in our lives, put ourselves in positions in order to do that. Jesus said, be visible, be prominent, be available. Put the light where? In a place where everyone can see it. So everyone has access to it. Even recognizing some will shun the light. But others will be drawn to it. Make it available to everyone. How can you strategically place yourself in situations where people who are in darkness will see the light of Christ in you and through you? How can you do that? That is a responsibility that you have before God. That I have before God. How can you do that? Are you making yourself available to God? For some people, we've heard stories about people tonight, but maybe, maybe you're one of them. Maybe you'll become one of these stories who went somewhere else, who said, you know, God's call is on my life and I'm going to go. I'm going to go somewhere where there's great darkness and I want Christ to shine in me and through me for His glory. But regardless of whether you go far away or stay where you are, 
you still have that responsibility to shine. Maybe not in the next country, but to your next door neighbour, to the people around us, to the colleagues that we have, the classmates, the people who are in our lives. Be visible, be prominent, be available. And you know what? You will be effective. You will be effective. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And if you reflect the light of Christ, God will use you to draw people to him. He will do it. And again, you say, but, but you don't know me. It's not my gift. You know, I'm not an evangelist, you know. And, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of a quiet person, you know. And so, you don't know me, Alec. You know, I'll do something else. Well, there's probably a, a distinction in terms of what we do and, what, and how we do it. But each one of us has an opportunity to reach people around us, to be that light, to live in a way that people see something different. They see the light on the outside and it reflects life on the inside. And people can look at you and say, what is different about you? What do you have that I don't have? What do you have that I need? I mean, I mean, you live like you have hope in the world. The world has no hope. But you live like it has. Will you tell me why? What is this hope? What is the source of hope that you have? Paul wrote in Colossians 1.27 To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. And you have a responsibility, as I have a responsibility, to shine that light so that people can see it. Christians are the light of the world. We need to be prepared to shine. The world is a dark place. But we can reflect the light of Christ. We need to be prepared to shine. We need to be a bright spark. To show people the light because of the life that we have and our relationship with Him. I don't know if God's been speaking to you this weekend, even before this weekend, but maybe this weekend has distilled things for you in a sense. Where there's a focus, perhaps more sharp and clear than it has been for a while. And you know that God wants you to do something to respond. Maybe tonight's the night where you say, Lord, you have been speaking to me. You know what? I need to do something to respond to what you've told me to do. I need to go somewhere and serve. Maybe a place I've been thinking about in touch with. Maybe I need to go. To go somewhere. Maybe you say, well, maybe I don't need to go, but, but Lord, uh, missions are recognized, it's going on, and, and there's things happening, but there's things that I can't do because of circumstances, and I want to get more involved in supporting, maybe financially or prayerfully, but getting behind this work. And maybe you think, too, you know, I recognize that the place that I live, my neighbors, I wonder who's going to reach them if it's not me. God wants to use me. God, I don't think I have much to offer, but you know what? And it's been said very often, God's not as interested in your ability as your availability. Are you available to God that he would use you as a light among your neighbours and friends in a very simple way? Trying to show them the love of Christ. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you say, well, this doesn't apply to me. Someone asked me to come along. You know, I thought I'd come along, but I'm not even a Christian. I want to ask you tonight if this is you. Whoever brought you or why you're here. Have you recognised something distinctly different from the person who brought you or for something you've engaged with? You've been in the world and you've met people in the world. You know what the world is all about? This kind of veneer, this facade that says, listen, we have all you need. And so you get things in the world and you get it and then you use it up and you think, was that it? I want more. And you have this craving, this appetite that's insatiable. And the world cannot satisfy what you're looking for. And you recognize there's something different. There's something different maybe about the Christian that brought you or a Christian that you know or something that you've seen or been exposed to as far as Christianity. You think God might be speaking to you. Say, so you know what? There is darkness in the world, sure. But you know what's most important to you tonight? 
the darkness in your heart. What are you going to do about that? You want to be a saviour of the world? Hey, it's great to do things actively in the world. Where does it start? It starts in the heart. What are you going to do with the darkness in your heart? You know what? There's nothing you can do about it. You know what? God says, listen, I've taken care of that. I've sent my son Jesus into the world and he gave his life for you. The price has been paid for you. The darkness and sin in your heart can be forgiven, washed clean. That can happen. That's a reality. How how can it happen? By you taking a step of faith, by humbling yourself before God, saying, God, please forgive me. Based upon what I can do, but Jesus, I believe, he's the son of God who's coming to the Lord. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe tonight would be an opportunity for you to respond. That Jesus died on the cross for you. And you say, I believe this. God, would you forgive me? Based upon not what I can do, but what Christ has done for me. Tonight could be the night when you enter into that relationship with God, ultimately. I don't know where you stand tonight. But Jesus said to those who would follow him, you are the light of the world. What a responsibility. What a privilege. What an honor. And as the world gets to be a darker place, we have that honor and privilege to go and to shine for him. Let's do it to glorify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and your guidance and instruction. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you entered into the world and that you spent time with people. People who were hungry, people who were desperate, people who were disillusioned, people who were confused. People who perhaps were not what others thought were worth spending time on. Lord Jesus, you went to the needy and recognizing our need as the first step in being restored to you. Lord, I pray that if there are any here tonight who are not yet in a right relationship with you, that tonight might be the night when they respond and take that step to speak to someone tonight to make sure that their heart is clean and cleansed by Christ. Pray too, Lord, for those who are here tonight, perhaps, who think, well, listen, my life is so busy, there are things going on, I'm limited in terms of what I can do. Maybe it's just getting more involved, perhaps, in the work here at Charlotte Chapel or in other places, other ministries, organizations. There's such a great need out there, but there's so many wonderful opportunities. May you guide and direct people to plug in where they can serve you and to support this work. Lord, also we recognize there might even be some here tonight who have resisted your call on their life. Maybe they think, you know, they're not up to the job. They don't have anything to offer. But maybe tonight they realize again and are reminded of the fact that it's not what they can do. It's what you can do in them and through them. And may they, as a result, even of this weekend, make that decision to you to go where you're sending them. But for each one of us tonight, I pray that we'd recognize the opportunities around us. The people in Edinburgh and in Scotland who are lost, who are without hope, who are in the darkness. Help us to live and to reflect the light of Christ. To show them the light. To show them the darkness. And the source and the solution to that darkness. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen.